Hey everyone, welcome back for episode two of season three of Life on Side B. Today we're going to be sharing with you a recording from the live episode we recorded back in January at the QCF conference. Grant and I got the amazing privilege to talk with Darren Calhoun, a board member of QCF. And if you listen to our Queerness and Race panel back in season two, you will have heard him there. If you did not listen to that episode, totally recommend going back and listening to it. Um, we talked about queer Christian solidarity, side A, side B, across this belief spectrum. How do we support each other? How do we stand together? Such a great conversation. Can't wait to share it with you. Before we get into it, though, really quick announcement. We did our first ever patron-chosen episode topic vote. Going to have to come up with a shorter name for it than that. But our patrons, our brilliant B patrons, voted on a episode topic for this season. There will be more of these this season. And the first one decided on was the co-host on the potential power and harm of our stories. We have a power and an opportunity to share our stories in the church to make room for other LGBT people. But yet, how can we do that without allowing the church or others to use our stories as weapons against other LGBT people? What does that look like? We're going to talk about that. Cannot wait to do it. That'll be in the next month or two. Um, so thank you to everyone who voted. If you're interested in getting in on the fun, having some, doing some votes on episode topics and those kind of things, go over to patreon.com slash B and join us on there. With that, let's head into the episode. Um, I want to welcome everyone as everyone's kind of joining in here. Thanks for joining us for uh, here for Life on Side B, the first podcast episode on the podcast stage here at QCF 2021. Can't believe it's 2021. Thank God. <laughs> but uh, Grant, how are you feeling? Um, I feel very nervous, but I have um, tweeted for prayers, and I feel like the prayers of my friends and followers will carry me along today, so. Love it. Um, awesome. All right, well, uh, I guess we'll give a few minutes before we get into the meat of everything, but I'll go ahead and kind of introduce us for, for everyone coming in. Um, uh, thanks again, like I said, everyone for joining. Uh, this is gonna be a great time. We have been looking forward to this for a while. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, and um, I identify as gay, and I uh, created this podcast. Um, and this past season, on season two of our podcast, we uh, had the lovely uh, opportunity to expand our co-host team, and Grant is on our co-host team, along with four, four other people. Yes, we have four other people. I can count, right? I can count. Four people. So there's six of us total. And um, the goal of this podcast is to talk with people about what it looks like to live life 
as a side B LGBT Christian? What does it look like? What are the, what are the joys of it? What are the pains of it? What are the difficulties um, of this area of, re- of faith and sexuality? Um, and so we, how we operate this every season is we have a theme for the season. So our season one was community and belonging. Season two was um, what it looks like to thrive instead of simply survive. And we're starting our season three uh, talking about identity and inclusion. Um, and this is going to be a really cool season. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. Are you, how are you feeling about it, Grant? I think we have sort of an all-star lineup. I'm just, I'm really excited for the conversations we're going to get to have uh, this season. I think uh, also that I feel much more confident in my ability to podcast um, than I did before this past season. So there's much growth that has happened. Um, So I'm excited to get into the conversations we have planned. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and for today's episode, we're really excited to have the one and only Darren Calhoun with us. Darren. Hey everybody. Ah, thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. A pleasure to be here. You're some of my favorite people to say. You are one of mine. I enjoy every single time we get to talk, whether on podcast or not on podcast. It is always a delight. Definitely, definitely feeling the same here. Yeah. Yeah. And so for everyone, like everyone, we're, as we explore in this season, identity and inclusion, what does it look like? And this is more than more than the question of LGBT identity or church inclusion, which many times is where our focus goes with those two words. We want to look at the broader understanding of what is identity? What does inclusion look like in many spheres of life? And so one of the areas kind of connected to this we want to uh, look at is the broader solidarity among LGBT Christians as a whole um, side B, side A, like beyond the spectrum of belief and how we can support each other um, in, the, in the midst of the spectrum of, of belief and standing and all of these things. So uh, Darren, I'm, I'm really glad I, I would, have, would love no one else to join us during this kind of conversation. Oh, shucks. <laughs> yes. Um, so I guess to start out, well, um, I, I guess to start out, let's go ahead. Let's just dive right into it because we you know we're <laughs> we have a specific amount of time. We um, sure do. <laughs> and uh, bef- as we get going, I want to encourage everyone: go ahead and put your questions in the question and answer um, section. I see some of you all have already done so. If there's a que- if the question you uh, wanted to ask is already there, you can like it. You can bump it up. And at the, towards the end of this session, we're going to answer some of those questions. And now I wouldn't say answer, I like the word respond better because obviously we do not have the answers and we're figuring this out. And um, we, but we want this to be a dialogue. So um, I think then with that, well, I, I think be, as we get going, actually, Grant, and Darren, I, there's one question that came up in the chat, which I think is good um, to kind of start this. And I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. 
One person put in the chat, what do you mean by spectrum of beliefs? And also along with that, can you give a brief overview of what we mean by side A, side B, um, these kind of terms? Do you guys have any thoughts you would like to share on, on these things? Because I think these are good things to clarify as we, we talk about this. Yeah. Uh, I can go first and Darian can add anything uh, if I miss something or misspeak. Uh, but so very briefly, uh, side A and side B uh, are terms developed several decades ago from this organization called Bridges Across the Divide. Uh, and basically, we needed words to describe two different viewpoints about uh, same-sex sexual activity, very specifically. So side A uh, affirms same-sex sexual activity under certain circumstances, and the certain circumstances vary from person to person, depending on um, the, the theology that they've come to on sexual ethics. Uh, and side B would say same-sex sexual activity is not permissible, is morally impermissible in all circumstances. Um, I think that's, that's the way that I've described um, or defined these terms, and that is significantly more specific than how these conversations tend to go. Um, so it's not about uh, same-sex relationships. Um, it's not about uh, the trans experience, as important of a conversation as that is. Uh, it's not about whether or not someone should attend a same-sex wedding. Uh, it's not about any of these very specific questions that require a lot more nuance. But yeah, that's how I've defined side A and side B. And when we're talking about uh, beyond the spectrum of belief, I think maybe, uh, maybe I would say across the spectrum of belief. Uh, so we mean whatever sexual ethics you've come to, um, we want to be able to have um, conversation and to express some solidarity with our fellow LGBTQ uh, believers. So. Those are my first thoughts. Anything you want to add, Darren? Yeah, I, I always love the way you um, unpack words and ideas and histories. Um, I think all of that is, is totally on point. And the, I think the only thing I would really add to that is how we show up in this conversation today. Um, one of the things that's been true of Q Christian Fellowship um, is that from its origins when it was in the GCN days and, and until now, having this spectrum of belief, having all of these different ideas um, at the same table has always been an important value and, and continues to be so. Um, but one of the challenges that has come up is um, these ideas of if these are sides, if they're dualistic, if, if they're compatible under the same tent, if you will. And that's one of the things that we're, um, I think that's why conversations like this is so important. Um, sometimes we can be in the space of being so worried about our own side or, or worried about our own um, set of theo theological beliefs that we don't realize that this space is a space that's protective of all of it. Um, it's a space that is, um, that finds all of it important. Um, and that's not comfortable for everybody. But I think it's really critical for the church at large because this space is its own little bubble, but we're part of the church and the church is going through all kinds of stuff trying to figure this out. And so, so yeah, I think we create shorthand terminology just so we can quickly say what we're talking about 
But in that shorthand, it comes with a bunch of baggage that sometimes gets confusing and, and, and murky when we introduce it to our friends and family, or when we just try to talk about what are we saying when we say side A or when we say side B. And so hopefully we'll, you know, continue to unpack that and continue to find new ways and new language to make that better as we go. Yeah. Yeah. I love what both of you, both of you shared. You know, one of the things we've tried to do in this podcast is obviously this podcast focuses a lot on, on what we're explaining is like the side B experience within the queer Christian experience. And, and even within that, when we even categorize it in these two terms, there's a spectrum of beliefs, even within these two terms. Oh God. And I think then, and so then it, we have to understand that um, like just terminology, first of all, terminology is never perfect and Mm -hmm. terminology never works the ways we would love it to work perfectly. And, And it's always morphing and it's always adjusting. And, and I think even like one of the, our topic episodes, of this season that we have planned is talking about that very term side B, does it work or does it not? And so it's going to be very close to this. And because we can many times find no matter like whichever terminology, there's going to be issues in it. There's going to be ways that it doesn't work and, and, and these things and how we need to understand. And so I think no matter what terminology we're using, we have to understand the limitation of, of the terminology and of language. Um, and that co- sometimes comes by context, that sometimes comes by aging of, of terminology. Uh, and it just sometimes comes by the fact that words are limited. Um, four letters can only say four letters and, <laughs> um, and that amount of meaning. Um, but you know, as we talk about this solidarity among LGBTQ Christians, let's kind of go into what are some of the things you both feel stand in the way of that solidarity? What are some of the hurdles or the difficulties that you see in that? Yeah, I'd like to to jump in on that and, you know, add in as you will. And there was also a question that came in about another side, um, side X. Um, one, one of the things to remember that all of this is shorthand. These are, these, there's no official person who determines what any of these words mean. Um, but but in this side A, side B dichotomy, you also have what we sometimes refer to as side Y um, and side X. Side X is the idea that one can, um, one can change their, their sexual orientation to no longer being gay or to become heterosexual specifically. Um, side Y is kind of like a step less or step past that to say, you're probably not going to change your orientation, but you're also not going to use labels that labels, for example, of being gay or anything like that. It's, it's just kind of a, just a step closer yeah. or a step um, beyond what side X would, would declare as true. Um, and I, I think it's important to name that uh, medical and research and, and so forth agree that changing one's sexual orientation is harmful. Um, and I think that's one of the mm-hmm. views of side B, that it's not an effort to change to becoming heterosexual, um, but it's instead an effort to, to identify in response to my theology, in response to what I believe, this is what, this is how I'm choosing to live. Um, and I think that jives with science and, and, and healthy ways of living and so forth. Um, so it's important to just kind of name that. Um, but beyond that, when it comes to to your question of what are some of the hindrances? Um, I think fear 
is that basic core thing. Um, we are trying to figure out how to do life right. And a lot of times we're taught to, to, to fight everything that feels like it's something different or something other than what we believe. Um, and so fear, I think, often informs how we have these conversations. We're afraid of going to hell. We're afraid of being wrong. We're afraid of leading others astray. Um, but for me, grace has been so much more useful in this conversation, not to say that, quote unquote, anything goes, but rather to be reminded that the God of the universe who would, would give God's own son for me is not going to leave me out here all by myself because I couldn't fit, pick it, figure out which side to be on, <laughs> you know? So yeah. I think if we can get past that fear, um, then we can start dealing with the multitude of other kinds of issues. But um, I know you guys can name some of the other specifics. Yeah. Grant, what do you think? I think there is also a real danger in some, sometimes how this conversation is framed. Um, I know that, uh, unfortunately, um, and this will take the form of, of sort of an apology as well. But uh, oftentimes, I think this, the conversation between sides, quote unquote, uh, can be framed, especially by outsiders, as uh, a conversation between the good queer Christians and the bad queer Christians. Um, the ones, uh, the, the ones who believe a quote-unquote biblical sexual ethic and the ones who don't or um, even the word traditional the traditional sexual ethic uh, can be used that way um, and I think that language that that many of many of us I know that I have I've used those words unthinkingly um, it can really set up boundaries unnecessary boundaries um, and it can be accusatory even in conversations that aren't accusatory. Um, so I think the words side A and side B, um, for whatever flaws they have, are really useful in that they are uh, not value judgments. <laughs> um, so that's why, that's why I like them more. The only problem is um, they tend to be jargon, <laughs> and so most people don't know what they mean. So, I, yeah, I think... The, the way this conversation is framed and the tendency to, um, to point fingers and to separate people into good and bad um, are some of the, the ways that solidarity has been difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think I've seen, as you talked about, the pointing of fingers, whether by, by, straight people outside of the conversation, trying to put the two groups against each other, or sometimes the fear, Darren, as you talked about, that then pushes us to see who are the good and who are the bad. And whether that it, whatever like form that takes, whether it's side B Christians that fear the criticism of conservatives and go, well, I'm not having sex. And somehow that gets me out of the criticism that you're pointing at LGBT people or the other side that sometimes goes when an entire belief system, the, the statement that sometimes comes out of like side B is toxic. And so then it, it informs this entire thing. Both of those are just examples 
of times when we're taking an entire group, we're taking an entire belief system and we're forming it under one understanding of it's good or it's bad. And we don't look at the people. We don't see people as they are. When you've met one person, you've met one person. I, I love that. Like my friend, Leslie Hudson Reynolds, when talking about the trans conversation always says, when you've met one trans person, you've met one trans person. And that's true of everything. Yeah. When you've met one person, you've met one person. You've met that person. And you cannot therefore make assumptions upon that, uh, upon that person's life based off of one term that they use or one aspect of their life or anything like that. And I think that like for me, this conversation is extremely important because, um, you know, having, having been in, um, affirming relationships, having been engaged and, and, and pursued marriage with a man and then later on deciding to become celibate. Um, my faith has taken me to many different areas of life. Um, and, you know, Darren, you and I probably also sometime need to have a podcast episode where we talk about conversion therapy because I've also gone through that as well. So it's like these things are our experiences can take us into very many different places, but it's ultimately our experience. My experience cannot be jumped, like copy and pasted onto your understanding of another person who happens to use the term side B Christian yeah. to identify themselves because their experience is gonna be very different than mine. Um, and their, where their life has taken them, where their faith has taken them is gonna be very different than mine. And um, I think when we can finally begin to see the per like people as people, rather than putting these group labels that we automatically make assumptions on each other, is is one of the biggest first hurdles kind of things that I see. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's such an opportunity to see. Um, I always sound like I'm like poly sunshine or just trying to be overly optimistic, but. I see connections in things and I see the ways that side A and side B are beneficial to each other, even if there's a core um, belief difference. Um, for example, we talk about when we look at history, uh, some of the main voices that have made progress for LGBTQ rights, that have um, advocated for a change in churches, that have um, made it so that we're physically safer as LGBTQ people. Those are typically side A folks. And if we got real specific, they're typically folks who are genderqueer, folks who don't fit into binaries, folks who um, who are don't have the yeah. privilege of passing as straight and cisgender. It's one of those things where the people we owe the most to are the first people that often get thrown under the bus. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then on the other side, when you look at, at the at side A, side A theology, side A churches, the vast majority of churches in my experience did not go from side X or the idea that, that everyone needs to be heterosexual to suddenly becoming side A. Most went on a journey and somewhere in there was some side B theology, some side B expectations or policy, um, and trying to, to wrestle with that is 
okay, is this something, is this what God is calling us, how God's calling us to lead this congregation? And I think having and naming and making that visible is entirely essential. Because I, again, I don't think the, the, the church at large, especially since most churches right now are just trying to figure out how do I not be Westboro Baptist Church, right? Mm -hmm. They know that that church um, is doing some harmful things, but they only know right theology. And I put air quotes around that to say, this is what, you know, this group believes, but we don't know how to live that out. And I think the value of side B life and theology is that one, that single people are incredibly valuable in the life of the church. In the modern yeah. church, we all, especially evangelical churches, we see so much focus on marriage, so much focus on children, so much focus on um, living your life in a way that's centered on nuclear family when the church historical has been so very uh, differently focused um, and side B life and side B values really give the church an opportunity to revisit that and to make sure that everyone, not just uh, celibate gay Christians, but also adult singles and widows and all the other people who get left out of the marriage talk every month, uh, <laughs> it makes sure that all of these people have a, a thriving vision of what life could be, whether or not you find a partner or whether or not that's something that you decide. We could get into a conversation about asexual people in the church later, but there's a whole lot that would benefit from us making space and protecting space for people who will not be pursuing um, intimate or romantic relationships. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, Something that came up as you were talking, Darren, is um, I really think that one of one of the things that that these quote unquote sides have in common um, is that uh, hate doesn't care if you're having sex or not. Uh, hatred does not care what your sexual ethics are. Um, it does not matter how much I clarify to some people about what I believe. If they hate gay people, they will hate me. I, I think sometimes um, side B people in particular are, are given opportunities when they're confronted with, um, with hatred to sort of redirect that hatred. And there's a temptation to say, oh, you've got me wrong. I don't believe what you think I believe in the hopes that this hatred will like leave or, or go somewhere else or, or be defeated. But I mean, the reality is it won't. And even if it is, um, I, I don't want homophobia to go to anybody else. Um, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to use my, my sexual ethics, um, as a way to throw brothers and sisters and siblings in Christ under the bus, um, whatever, whatever they happen to believe. So I think we have a, a common, common oppression um, in a lot of ways. I don't think that uh, side B people are always, um, or even mostly allied with the oppressor. Uh, I think we experience that same oppression. Yeah. Darren, one thing that you brought up that is something that I've been learning a lot about and I've been really impacted by has been, as you said, when we look at the people who've been really doing the work to make 
a safe place in life for us is it's many, it's affirming people. It's many times um, gender queer, trans people. Like I, as a celibate, you know, gay Christian, am indebted to affirming gay people for making a space where I can be open. I also am indebted as a gay man to mostly trans individuals for making a space that then I can exist in. Celibate gay Christians have to make that acknowledgement. We have to, that we didn't do the majority of the work (laughs) to get where we're at. We, many of us have, have not been on the front lines of being able to make the safe spaces in, in the history of, of queer rights and all of these things. And, and I think that that's something that it's important to ex- really acknowledge um, when, as you were saying, Grant, that we, we sometimes try to get out of the criticism of others. When we're doing that very thing again, we're laying it on others to do the work yeah. when, uh, of this. And so, it's, um, it's go like- ahead. It's like sitting on someone's lap and slapping their face. Um, like, yes. I, I have benefited from the work of side A and non-Christian queer people. Mm-hmm. Um, and to turn around, benefit from that, and then use that to, to disrespect or endanger the lives of my siblings in Christ is is something that I want to rid myself of. I know that I probably do that unthinkingly. Um, and yeah, I, it's something I have to, I have to grow out of. I think, I think that doesn't benefit anybody, not even, not even fellow side B people, not even me. Yeah. yeah. And to name the both and, um, granted, some people are, are closeted or private or not out or not able to do self-advocacy because they're surviving, right? Like people, this is a dangerous world. Churches are not safe for side B people at present. Um, It doesn't matter what your theology is. If churches haven't named and written policy that protects LGBTQ people in that space, then it does, it's it's not happening, point blank, period. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when it comes to like, holding all these things in tension is not to say, oh, well, you know, we just need more outside B advocates. It's more like we need to make the world safer for everyone to be out and to be mm-hmm. advocating for themselves and to have agency to choose um, what what theological expression is best for them. Um, but yes, a lot of that work came from people who live at the margins and had to fight these fights daily. Um, and that's the, you know, that's the part that we're acknowledging. It's like, yeah, you, you may not be in a place where you can be an advocate, but someone's out there advocating for you. And, you know, we, we owe something to those people. Yeah, absolutely. We have a lot of good questions coming in. Um, before we get to those though, cause I want to leave space and time to get to those questions. Um, kind of, as we've talked about these hurdles and everything, I want to also leave some time about what are what are y'all's thoughts on what it looks like moving forward into solidarity? So we have these these difficulties, these things that many times pop up that create um, create hurdles. Um, what what are some ideas of what you guys think that it looks like moving forward into that? 
Um, yeah, I'll go first. Uh, I think it's important to say what it doesn't mean to. Um, I don't think that solidarity means that we have to check our, our sexual ethics at the door, um, that we have to uh, we have to take it down a few notches, what we believe. Um, I think relationship is only possible if there is differentiation. Um, you can't have a relationship with someone who is just you. Like you, there's, there needs to be two people for there to be a relationship, a person and an other. Um, so there needs to be some distinction. So I don't think we have to, to throw away our sexual ethics um, that we believe really strongly in. I think that will mean we have to have really bold um, and really honest conversations about things that are really difficult. Um, but something that I think about in having these kinds of conversations is the kind of solidarity that can exist is based on sort of three levels of shared experience. Um, first of all, there's there's a basic human solidarity, like because you are made in the image of God, because God chose to become one of us, but <laughs> chose to become a human being like us, you have an inherent dignity and value. Um, and that, that requires something of me. Um, I am obligated to treat you with respect and dignity and sensitivity. But beyond that, we have a shared queer experience, shared LGBTQ experience. We have um, similar obstacles. We have a shared uh, history, uh, community, culture. And then beyond that, and this is maybe the most important, um, definitely the most important, we were both believers. Um, we, we both believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's incredibly significant. Um, we, we have more in common as believers than basically any other two people in the world. Um, so our, our solidarity, side A and side B, and anyone who, any queer Christian, any LGBTQ Christian, it's based on those three levels of solidarity. So this is a conversation that's not between strangers. It's not, it's not between people who are completely unrelated to each other. It's between people who belong to the same community. So I, I have to keep that in mind in these conversations. Yeah, I just, um, I, gosh, I'm, I, there's, there's so many thoughts that come to mind, so I won't take up a bunch of time. But um, yeah, Grant, I just appreciate that. I appreciate uh, what you say and how you say it. Um, because I, if if we've seen nothing else in in the past few years, so many have come become aware of just how many ways we can be divided, and separated, and and disempowered. Yeah. Um, but you know, this is a this is a time um, to really look at the ways that we do support each other, that we show up for each other. Um, so yeah, I'm just gonna keep thinking on that. Yeah, I. I, yeah, I mean, I honestly don't have a ton. <laughs> well, I mean, I do have a ton more to say, but 
you both say things a lot more beautifully than I do. Um, and in that, I, I, I think a lot of it gets rooted in being able to see that we, those areas of solidarity, as you said, Grant, that we're all made in the image of God. We are all LGBT people and we all serve Jesus as our Lord and King and look to him as our Lord and King. And that that's where we can find unity, even in the midst of a spectrum of beliefs. And even amongst those, that diversity, we can find those things that unite us, you know, and being able to look at that and look at the ways that even when I want to, when I'm facing the criticism of someone on Twitter, this is why I'm not on Twitter, but if I was on Twitter, someone on Twitter, um, and wanting to get a cop out, no, I'm going to stand up so that someone else doesn't have to deal with that. You know? Yeah. That I'm going to be that voice in my community, even though it's hard. And even though there can be consequences, you know? Because I want to just stand up, I want to stand up for all of my LGBT siblings. Um, because if I can stand up in this situation, that's one less situation where one of them might have to face um, that hurt or um, that pain from whatever the person is hurling at me. Um, and I think that those are the things when we can stand up for each other in those situations. Um, even in the midst of our differences and even in the midst of our diversity of so many different aspects um, is where we can see that in many ways we're, we're, we're fighting a common fight of wanting to have space, of wanting to be present, of wanting to have uh, be acknowledged, just simply even acknowledged at times um, and not have fear of being kicked out or not have fear of being rejected, um, thrown from our family, our community. And so when I can stand in, the, in those spaces, I can do so to help block and protect others in that way. Yeah. I mean, imagine what the world would look like if LGBT people were able to make decisions about their sexual ethics not based on fear, <laughs> not based on fear of being kicked out, fear of being placed into conversion therapy, fear of abuse, fear um, of violence. What if, what if we were able to live in a world where we can make those decisions based on how we are discerning what God is saying to us? Yeah. That's a world that I think all of us want. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And kind of, I, I think that actually uh, moves us into a few of the questions. Um, I want to let everyone know, I'm, I'm going to get to the highest rated questions, but I'm going to also try and move these in topically, like as they smooth in. And, and so I think there's two questions. I'm going to read them both because I think they are a little bit connected. Um, and then we can discuss it because I think that also this kind of aligns with a little bit what you were just saying, Grant, was... Um, one of them was the question is, is side B a personal choice or a calling? So that's the first question. Um, the second question, 
um, is this is completely new to me and it feels a little bit um, ex-gay light and not affirming at all. I can understand people who identify as asexual, but if, you ex- if one experiences sexual attraction, then it seems like one is denying something in an unhealthy way. Does that make any sense? So, um, Grant, do you want to start speaking to those kind of areas about? Yeah, um, I think this part of this goes back to a framing question. So sometimes um, I think the conversation is framed as um, a conversation between those pursuing marriage or romantic or sexual relationships and those pursuing celibacy. Um, and I think that kind of misunderstands what, what the conversation is about, actually. Um, so um, to reiterate, side B is about um, specifically same-sex sexual activity. Um, it's a specific belief about what is permissible or not permissible. Um, in that sense, uh, it is unchosen for me and that if I were creating um, a religion from scratch, that probably wouldn't be something I, I chose right away. Um, I'm, I find myself desiring sex just as much as um, a lot of people. So sex comes naturally to me. Um, but it's also chosen in that once I have, uh, once this belief systems come to me and has made sense to me, it's something that I reaffirm with the way I live. So there's, there's unchosen aspects and there's chosen aspects of it. I, I don't think of it as me being sort of strong-armed into celibacy. Um, I really think like I was chosen and I chose it back. Um, but I think that happens with every sort of decision that we make about sexual ethics. There's always um, a part of that where we have to make a decision. Uh, And there's a part of it where we don't make a decision. It just sort of makes sense to us. So I don't know. That's how I've thought about that distinction between unchosen and chosen. It's kind of both. Yeah. One of the things I, again, I I think this kind of goes back to the, the, thing I said before is when you meet one person, you've met one person, you know, I think the broader understanding that unites side B people is, as Grant said, is the question of whether or not sexual activity between people of the same sex is permissible. But there are side B people that believe that more of that is not permissible, that even going into relationships, that's, and I have to acknowledge that, that there are, there are people that identify side B that believe, that believe these things. And, um, and also when asking what leads a person to the decision of celibacy, that's going to be different every single person. Um, I think there are some unhealthy reasons why people choose celibacy. Um, And I think there are healthy reasons why people choose celibacy in side B. Um, You know, it can be a personal calling as well as just, this is the theology that I've landed on. And so therefore I'm going to live according to my theology. Um, I think that there are some people and like, I think there are some side B people that are side B simply because they still can't get over their shame of sex. Yes, that's and true. They can't, and that's linked to their shame of being queer, and therefore they have to work through that. And I think that's something everyone has to work through, but especially as a celibate person, sometimes working through the shame of sex is hard because you're not having sex. So figuring out how to deal with that, it adds layers. Um, 
And then the question is, is this the reason why I'm celibate or is it because I truly believe this, you know? Um, and um, for, our, for the second question, I understand the, the, the kind of hesitancy of this seems like ex-gay light and kind of stuff, but I do want to acknowledge that at least in my, in, in, for me, and I would think I would speak for Grant in this as well, I see, I, I agree with what Grant said. The, the question in my theology is about sexual activity, but that has nothing to say about the beauty of relationships between people of the same sex. Like, like I said, I have been in affirming relationships and those were some of the most beautiful times of my life. Yeah. Um, my ex and I, who are still friends, um, is one is one of the people that I will cherish the most for the rest of my life and, yeah. and the relationship that he held, even though our relationship didn't work out, um, I cherish him and I cherish what we had. And I think what we had was beautiful and one of the most beautiful things I had in my life. Um, and so it is not a rejection of all of that as being um, bad or anything like that. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that whether side B is a personal choice or a calling and these kind of questions, every person who, is, who identifies as side B is working through the reasons why, they're, why they chose this, Absolutely. why they're here. Is it because of family pressures? That happens. Is it because they might lose their job if they aren't? That happens. Yeah. And you, each person has to work out, why am I here? Would I do this? Am I doing this because this is where Jesus has put me and I want to be in front of Jesus saying, Jesus, I have done what you have called me to do. And in the midst of everything, and in the midst of everything I have lost or, or gained, I choose to serve you. Yeah. Um, is that the reasoning? Or is it because I fear the rejection of my family or my church? Um, and I just don't know what life would look like and I would lose everything. Because yeah. that's not healthy. But it's sad because people are in that situation. For sure. And so, um, and, and I think that that working through, and I think, one of the, I think one of the difficulties of side B community or, or where side B Christians find themselves is that we don't have a lot of ways to help people figure those things out mm. and walk through those in a healthy way of being able to figure out why am I here and why do I hold this? And so I think we need more of that. We need more of those ways of figuring out the reasoning and, and these things as we go through it. Darren, did you have anything you wanted to share? Yeah, I, I love I love the, the personal stories there. And I think that's absolutely critical. Um, I also want to just kind of expand, expand the conversation um, to the perspective of the church church leaders, pastors, parents even, because there's one part of this where it's, what is my personal calling? What is my shame? What is my, you know, what areas of strength do I have? Do I feel that God's uniquely equipped me to live as a celibate person or not? That's one side of this. But the other side is, how do we make church policy? Who gets to teach Sunday school? Who gets to be a senior pastor? Who gets to be an elder in the church? How do we, how do we come to conclusions about can both of these exist in the same space? Um, and for me, I've spent a lot of time um, working with churches uh, across a variety of beliefs about these issues because 
we often, again, we often use this as just a, a we need to have the right theology kind of conversation, but there's also church policies that inform so much of what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, because if your, if your Sunday school teacher can't bring up the fact that, um, that his or her or their child has just come out for fear of losing their job, it doesn't even matter what their orientation is. The fact that yeah. our policies are so raggedy that people mm. cannot be in true community, in open community about the things that are going on in their families and their lives, like that's a problem. And so, um, so I feel like when it comes to churches figuring this out, um, we've talked about it in several ways, but I, I would love to see churches move beyond having a dangling carrot, this treat of, well, if you obey us, if you if you toe the line, then you get to be a leader. You get to use the gifts that God has put in you. God didn't didn't wait to qualify you based on your obedience or your or your theology before you were gifted. But now the church is saying, well, your gift is really a powerful thing, but you have to have to use it this specific way. I think what's important is that churches do have policy, that they become very clear in their beliefs. Typically, the fear and the anxiety around this conversation isn't because you don't have, quote unquote, the right beliefs. It's that you're not really sure of what you believe. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is we go, well, the Bible says, but we don't we don't we haven't thought deeper to say i need to say this to a real human person who has a name a face a family and a community and how will this impact them am i saying it in a way that is life-giving that's inspiring that uh, that people would want to join in or am i saying these things in a way that that is unaffected and uncaring Mm -hmm. and that doesn't give regard to somebody's whole life and I think that's where the where the breakdown is. And so when it comes yeah. to this idea of is is side B X gay light, I've seen churches that come to side B from the place of they just don't want to tell people that they can't be gay. And I don't think that's truly side B. I'm not in position to qualify or disqualify anybody, but from my perspective, I think it's not side B simply because you believe a quote unquote traditional interpretation. I think it's side B when you're protective of and have a life-giving vision for, as, as Eve uh, Tushnet talks about, you have a, this vocation and this excitement about what life on side B could be in your church and in your preaching and in the vision of how you see your church growing. But if you don't have that, if you just don't want to get sued or if you just don't want to have people say bad things about you on the Internet, you're not. That's not that's not how we're going to roll. <laughs> that's not yeah. how this is going to work. Um, yeah. And so when it comes to when, you know, just like you said, you, you when you met one side B person, you've met one side B person. When you've been to one church that claims it's side B, you've been to one church that claims it's side B. Every denomination has a different way that they arrive at this. Every church has different ways that they, uh, that they apply this. I was in a church that had four sites and all four sites had different ideas about who could Mm. be a a worship leader at that church and what, what was required of them. And they didn't know that they had different ideas. They thought they were all being faithful, but faithful wasn't Mm. really defined because they didn't have policy to, to clarify. And Mm -hmm. so, 
so yes, there are some places that that do make side B just some kind of nicer, sweeter version of of, of side X. Um, but then there's <laughs> lots of places that are doing the work um, to figure this out to make this uh, make this something that's really healthy and life giving for people. Um, and so, as with anything, um, I think there was when you mentioned shame. I wanted to sort of circle back to that because there are there are affirming people who are having sex out of shame you know like they, they're like oh well i'm supposed to be doing this or i'm supposed to be living this way because this is what looks like this is what happy looks like on instagram and it's like mm. no we we have a world that has put all kinds of pressures on everybody it's not one side or the other and so what we're trying to do is figure out how do we make our spaces safe and healthy so that people can follow what god's truly called them to not simply what they feel pressured to yeah. Yeah, I think the first QCF conference I went to was a couple of years ago, and I heard you, Darren, speak. Um, and one of the things I remember you saying uh, back then was a church has to work to be side B. <laughs> um, I'm not going, I won't label a church as side B if they haven't demonstrated that side B people can, can not only survive in their church, but thrive in their church. Um, it's it's a, a label that I hold on to because merely saying no to something is not all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think Eve Tushnet, um, the quote that always sticks out to me is no one has a vocation of no. You always have to have a vocation of yes. So just saying, just having a church where they say no to certain things is not a place necessarily where side B people can thrive, not even survive. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of the, the pressure that I have felt in spaces that purport to be safe for me is pushing against identity language pushing against the way I talk or the way I dress or the way I act. Um, it's things, it's things that aren't actually related to my sexual ethics at all. It's, it's pure homophobia. Um, so I think yeah. many side B people are actually fleeing from side X theology or fleeing from X gay spaces and they've come to side B because it offers safety. Um, mm. So I, I think the conflation of side B and ex-gay ex theology uh, can sometimes frustrate me if it's done um, purposefully because I, side, side X slash ex-gay theology is a threat to my life. <laughs> and I'm, I'm side B because I'm yes. not ex-gay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We have six minutes left. Um, I would have so much to share on all of that. And we're gonna have to do part two another time. Uh, <laughs> part two, absolutely. Um, but I do wanna get to the, the question that like got rated the highest because one, I'd be able to end with that. And so you guys can share your thoughts on that. And there's another question down at the bottom that also kind of connects to it, which is, do you think that within a church, um, you can have those who believe side A and those who believe side B united believing in Jesus? What do you think this could look like practically? Kind of related to that um, is 
um, or maybe I lost it. Um, but in that question of side A, side B together, uh, what does it, how does the church then make room for side A and side B Christians in the same congregation? So this question about standing in a, in a congregation together, um, what, what does this look like? Is that possible? Um, those things closing, like, Quick thoughts on that. I know that's a big question to answer in five minutes, so we're not going to get to this, but any quick thoughts you want to share on that? Darren probably has better thoughts on this, but I think just a couple bullet points. I think that every community um, has some, uh, some distinctives that make it a community, and some of those distinctives are necessarily beliefs. I don't think that a community having certain distinctives is inherently um, exclusive, um, even though sometimes it can practically uh, work out that way. Um, I think community can be built by shared beliefs, which necessarily um, exclude other beliefs and it not be um, it not be exclusive in like a, a relational way. Um, I know that's sort of a broad, very broad idea. Darren has so many more specific thoughts. So wise. Go for it, Darren. Share with us, Darren. I'm just drop what I can as quickly as I can because we are <laughs> running out of time. Um, so like I said, I've worked with churches who are on a spectrum of beliefs when it comes to this. And the things that I found most important are universal, whether your church believes side A or side B. Um, one is that your, your church website absolutely needs to say what it believes. People are trying to figure out what your church believes and they're usually doing that via the website. These are some of the values that have been raised by uh, churchclarity.org um, and other places that are saying, hey, we just want to know what you believe. Um, I specifically was in a church that was working to become side B and in that church, they, because of like some media guffaws, they had to eventually become more clear. When I first got there, you had to find out what the church believed. You had to email a certain secretary who could then send you a PDF document who <laughs> then you could read through it. But what they found out was that what they wrote in the document when LGBTQ people read it didn't say what they intended it to say because there was a bunch of straight married folk who were writing it. Um, mm -hmm. And so have your stuff. Uh, Julie Rogers raises this value of no conversations about us without us. If your church is trying to figure out its policy on this, you have to have the conversations with the people who have to live with it. If, the, if no one in the room has to live with these kind of policy decisions, then you're not having a complete conversation. You're yeah. just kind of talking to yourself and that's not helpful here. Um, another thing is that uh, your staff need to be trained on what you believe. I experienced in a church where the senior pastor at the campus didn't know what the senior pastor at the at the uh, at the overall institution believed, and that certainly didn't translate down to what they were teaching in Sunday school, and that certainly didn't translate down to what the ushers were doing when they were greeting on Sunday morning. Leaders <laughs> leaders should know the more the higher you are in leadership, the less you hear at the bottom, and so you have to be very intentional about getting everyone on the same page and making sure everybody knows what's mm -hmm. happening and why. Because otherwise you have someone serving in your church for two or three years and then they go to apply for a certain um, position and all of a sudden it's like, oh no, we don't believe that. 
And that can be so detrimental to anyone. Um, lastly, make sure that your stories, your sermon illustrations, make sure that the people who are in leadership express this range of, of theology. If your church is saying that to be in leadership, you must be a celibate gay Christian, they need examples of leaders that are celibate gay Christians. And if you say we can't find any, then something's still wrong in your church and you need to do the internal work. You need to hire somebody to help you do an audit of your church. You need to do something so that you figure out how, how do you make your church an actual safe place where LGBTQ Christians who are celibate can thrive. Um, again, I experienced being at a church where the church was working to be side B. It had lots of side A folks who were there in a part. And the church did never change its theology, but the church did change its policy so that if a side, if a, side a couple, for example, were bringing their kids to Sunday school, that there was nothing in the church policy that was going to exclude that couple or that child from being able to attend Sunday school. Because without the policy happening, there was no protection. And that's the thing that, I'm, uh, that I think is most important. Um, some people will love to be a part of your church, even if they can't be a Sunday school teacher. Some people would love to be a part of your church, even if they can't um, be the senior pastor. But until you make sure that those policy values are clear, people don't have the authentic tools to, to have those conversations. If they have to get a coffee with you to be able to figure that out, then it's not fair to them. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you both. I mean, I have so much I could share on that as well, but we're at, we're at the end of our time. I mean, I will say the one thing I will say is I, I think that churches need to make space for people to be messy yeah. more than anything for people not Absolutely. to fit in and for people to be able to question things and, and work through things, even as they lead to be able to process their lives because we're always processing. And I don't even think that's just for LGBTQ people. I think that's the world. So, um, but I appreciate you both for, well, appreciate being able to do this. I'm really grateful to QCF for giving us this time to be on the podcast stage and talk about this. And this is a really short version of this. So anyone who's listening is like, my question didn't get answered or like, I wish you would have talked more on this. We always want to talk more and we will talk more. And so please come back and, and keep listening to the rest of our podcast. If you had a question that you really wanted answered um, and you didn't get to, and it may be a personal question, might be something you're processing, don't have to wait for another episode. Feel free to reach out to one of the three of us, those who are on Twitter. I'm not, but the podcast is, and I have to deal with it. So you can reach out to the podcast on Twitter and I will, I will be there or on Instagram or on Facebook or on our website, lifeonsideb.com. Try to get there as, um, as um, quick as I can. Um, and so, um, and they're putting their um, handles in the chat at Hey Darren and at The Grant Hartley. Um, so please, if you have a question that you really needed to answer, you felt like you didn't get answered, send that over to us more than happy to continue discussing. And we want to keep discussing in, in episodes. So thank you so much. We really, really appreciate you all joining us for this time. We hope it was beneficial. And um, we will hope to talk to you all soon, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Anything you guys wanted to share as we, before we go out or no? Thank nope. you for having me. It's awesome to be here. Love you yeah. all. <laughs> Love you guys. Yes. Great. Thank you. <laughs>